more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at various places of shelter in the metropolitan New York City area. Uh, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic PW's Comics and Pop Culture Newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com, the news blog of comics culture. And you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the iTunes uh, podcast, uh, the podcast app. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And also, please don't forget, you can rate us, you can leave us a comment, or you can give us some feedback on how we're doing. You can always uh, give us some love on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. Uh, but let us know how you're doing. We love to get comments from our listeners. Hit us up, won't you? Talk to us. Let us know what you think. All right. All right. Hey, this week on More to Come, welcome to... The Metaverse, and that's the New York Comic Con Metaverse, which is, uh, I guess, going on right now as we speak. Um, oh, the, uh, that means the Harvey Awards can't be far behind, uh, and we're going to have a convention, a virtual convention roundup, uh, and we're going to look at the L.A. Comic Con, Brooklyn Book Festival, which took place last weekend. Uh, then we're going to segue to publishing news, sales, and we're going to spend a little time on our wonderful feature in the Vulture, 100 Sequences that shaped animation, a really excellent piece of, uh, um, a work looking at, uh, one of the great, uh, mediums today, uh, and, and its history. All right. Welcome to the metaverse. Well, you took us on a tour of the various metaverses in your, <laughs> in your New York Comic Con well, preview, Heidi. Uh, we've been, you know, I did write a very long piece for Publishers Weekly, uh, and, but the second that I've written about the virtual con movement and, uh, you know, hey, I, I mean, we've said this many times. Let's face it. We're in month seven of this and, uh, it's lost its luster just a little bit. Uh, and, but, you know, Read Pop is really trying to do uh, jazz things up a little bit for their virtual New York Comic Con. Right. Uh, it's called the Metaverse, but they also – it's New York Comic Con times MCM Comic Con Metaverse. Uh, MCM is a British con, and right. uh, it is on now. It's Thursday. In the real world, we – in that alternate world where I don't know what <laughs> butterfly stamped its foot that sent us into this hellish alternate timeline – uh, but in the real world, uh, we are at the Javits Center. It's day one. Um, we're complaining about the crowds. Kate is behind the table talking to her volunteers, <laughs> and Calvin is off being Calvin. There yeah. you go. Looking for interviews uh, for this wonderful program, usually. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, your your piece was very interesting, um, uh, and, you know, welcome to the, uh, the, the New York Comic Con goes metaverse, but really – I mean, what it, it was very interesting because we've we we've been looking at the last six or seven months of these virtual online comms in an emergency, basically, um, you know, being placeholders for the real things. But you know, in that in, in, over that time, people are working on ways. How do we make this thing more interesting? How do we make it more engaging? How do we kind of you know level up? Uh, because right. we're going to be doing it this way, you know, in the in the in the interim for a while to go. And you, you, you really touched on some, some interesting, I guess you might even call them sort of landmarks in it. DC Fandom certainly was one of them in terms of how they conducted it. And then of course the New York Comic Con, uh, uh, or Read Pop rather, did a kind of, uh, I guess preview event. They kind of had a, uh, yeah. a pre-metaverse event that was very interesting. Uh, so we're just in the midst of this, of a, this platform enhancement that has kind of you know, come out of a necessity. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, DC hit it out of the park with fandom. Uh, that's by, been by far, I think, of all the events I've talked about, uh, the most, ex the one that got people the most excited, that got people mm -hmm. talking. And, you know, Kate, Kate and I were talking last week about how when DC Universe launches, which is the, uh, or DC, I forget what they, Kate, what do they call it? Um, what's Kate? it? DC Universe Infinite, or what was it? <laughs> 
So yeah, just last week, Kate and I, we were talking about uh, DC Universe Infinite and how we hoped that they bring some of the fandom content to it because, uh, y- you know, fandom really has still been the, the gold standard among uh, online events and uh, and you know they only left it online for one day. I think that might be part of the the reason. But, but well, that, that was very interesting how they structured it because they you know they they really you really had to show up for it. Yeah, because it was only yeah. going to last for twenty four hours. Sorry. Um, yeah, well, I was just going to say that uh, I do have a panel actually at Metaverse, and I'm trying to find. Yes, it is Saturday. It goes live Saturday. Uh, it is called. Let's see, Saturday at 10.20 in the morning, uh, prime time at Comic-Con. Uh, it's Titans of, called Titans of Graphic Novels, and it is a really great lineup. Um, Robin Ha, Kathleen Gross, Lily Lamott, and Shannon Hale. Um, about all the, and they all have really great books coming out, uh, this year. You know, Robin Ha did her All, all American Girl. That was so good. And, um, yeah, it was a great panel. Uh, uh-huh. They were pre-recorded. So I, I already did it. So tune in. It was a great conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No doubt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. Just to jump back to DC fandom. I mean, I thought they really did a good job at really making it, uh, a must see event. I mean, it really was like packed with, with people. And of course, focused on in a way since you had to be there for 24 hours, and they did it twice, right? So they did a second one uh, in the same way. So this was a you know, <clears throat> so this has been a great sort of, I guess it's it's kind of set a standard. And um, I also tuned into some of the earlier metaverse events. So New York Comic, you know this this whole online experiment with fandom. You know, it continues on into uh, New York Comic Con this weekend. Right, Kate? Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of, I don't know. I'm actually kind of excited for some of these because, like, they aren't going to just be online for 24 hours, so I could possibly watch them on the weekend at my leisure. Um, they are very brand-focused. That's, I mean, not all of them, but there's a huge number, percentage of the panel, much higher than I would say in the live New York Comic Con, are centered around one brand or another, which which is fine, because those are certainly panels that are very popular. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how these these panels, like, play out online, whether they'll have the big surprises and reveals and juicy tidbits that they would if they were live. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a l- little bit hard to do. I will say this, that I'm actually looking at some of the special events that they have. And I, I do know a lot of these were pre-recorded, but they were asking for questions ahead of time. Uh, I mean, there's a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, uh, how to podcast with the McElroy family, uh, Spotlight V.E. Schwab. And then uh, this is pretty cool, Lost Anniversary Fan Q&A with Damon Lindelof and Carl mm-hmm. Cuse. Uh, yeah. You know. mm-hmm. I'm big lost. I mean, I might just, might they just do seem that. to be, all of the shows do seem to be trying to recreate, you know, some of the, the things that, that Kate was, was talking about. And apparently, certainly in the, the earlier metaverse, they did have those kinds of reveals and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, um, uh, uh, I've got a whole, I mean, I mean, we've all been doing these things now the last six months. There's more in my future. I, I'll talk about the Brooklyn Book Festival a little later. Uh, yeah. They had an interesting slate of material. Um, some live, some pre-recorded. I did one yeah. of each. Um, uh, oh, see, now that's interesting because I, I think with the metaverse, it is mostly pre-recorded, but there mm-hmm. might be some live ones. And now, I, if I may be allowed to plug, um, uh, so uh, I have a, a spinoff podcast called Five Women, uh, Four Women in a Hotel Room that I do usually on my travels. Uh, with whoever I'm rooming with, but we're not traveling. So, but we, we did it for San Diego. I did it with Deb Aoki, Johanna Draper Carlson, and Bridget Alverson, all PW contributors, past yes. and present. Um, and, uh, this time, so we, we did it for New- San Diego. This time we did it for New York Comic Con. We were joined by the delightful Erica Friedman, who was also doing her own videos, it turns out. She's the expert on Yuri manga. Anyway, just yes. plugging. Uh, we did, it's called Five Women in a Zoom Room Talking About Manga. <laughs> okay. And if you want to hear the four most knowledgeable people about manga, it's Erica, Deb, 
Bridget and Johanna, so I had nothing to add to it. But uh, but we did it. I will say we did it live and yeah. you know live streaming to YouTube, and you get to see questions. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I prefer doing it that way. Mm. You know, I don't think my um, production values are very good. You know, my cat jumps into the every time I do any of these panels, the cat is always yeah. there. I just can't get, keep the cat away. But the cat is part of the production value. Yeah, honestly. I people, but I, I think people are used to the cat. Yes, and honestly, I really think the these kind of like inevitable, you know, the, the inevitable intrusions of your real life on a mild level. I think that I think this is kind of part of what makes. I mean, one of the positive things about this, it really is kind of interesting to see, you know, people in context a little bit, even if they are, you know, do have a, you know, a, a, a digital backdrop <laughs> behind yeah, them very yeah. often. And so, and, and I like, I, I feel like for me, uh, like, like being able to interact with people yeah. who are watching it. I mean, we had like a dozen people watching it, which isn't much, but it was something. Yeah. It was an audience. And I, I, for me, being able to interact with them in the chat room at, while we were doing it, yeah. it was so exciting. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, well, can, well, should we just jump ahead and talk about some of this stuff or um, I don't want to jump out of... Oh, what, Brooklyn Book Festival? Yeah, because... Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because this is what we're talking about because, you know, I did... Uh, it, because I did two kinds of, of things. I did a a pre-recorded um, panel with um, uh, really a really great lineup panel about hidden histories, um, and basically it was the nonfiction narratives by uh, uh, M. A. Aborel. Her book uh, "We Serve the People" about her mother's remarkable life growing up mm-hmm. during the Chinese uh, the, the Cultural Revolution under Mao. She, her mother is amazing. Wow. Uh, Chasing the Bird, Dave, Dave Chisholm. The, uh, the really, uh, extraordinary young cartoonist, jazz musician who's done this, uh, graphic biography of Charlie Parker, uh, that's really fabulous. And of course, the great Joe Sacco talking about paying the land. Uh, and, and we actually recorded that and recorded the discussion about their books and, you know, the usual stuff about, you know, what, you know, what they were trying to do and the experience of, of working on the books. Um, uh, and it was recorded. Some people, you know, you, when you put it, you, they, they actually keep a chat track open during, uh, the broadcasting. So there, there was when it, the first time it was broadcast, you can jump in and make comments and actually people show up and sort of chat about, you know, even though they can't ask questions. And then Dave was there, I think, and one of the others, I think Joe may have showed up for a second and, you know, uh, made a few comments. So it's, it was an interesting hybrid. Oh, that's experience. so so, guys, one one thing I want to ask you is, did either of you get a digital version of the infamous, I have a question, well, it's more of a comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I go on, go on, Heidi. <laughs> oh, no, Calvin, you go on. Uh, you know what? I will say this. Um, uh, I, I, not not necessarily, but, you know, there's always a little bit of that. Uh, but but uh, nothing disruptive. And the things that I've done, actually, I've actually been lucky to have had producers who were selecting the questions. So the questions were all very pertinent. Ah. So I, I would say, like, it's a chat room, so it's kind of already a comment more than a question, yeah. really. Right. Um, and, I mean, we had a really nice audience earlier today when we did our live stream. Um, but I, I do think, like, for Miami Book Fair, um, they are going to put in some art. Like, that is really – the, the the flaw in Zoom is that sharing content, you know, like just throwing up a image is not that easy. I mean, look, hey, we're not CNN, you know, we're <laughs> well, not, it's even not Fox, that hard Fox either. News. Yeah, but well, yeah, but it's not. I I, I mean, it's like uh, you know, to throw up images actually uh, that aren't part of your computer environment are a little bit hard on Zoom. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. we did we did a. Uh, I agree. Now, certain things show up better than others. We did, uh, and, you know, the other panel I did was, uh, was live. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was a kids panel and there was drawing. Uh, now we didn't really take, you know, years ago in the before times, uh, and, and, and in fact in the before Brooklyn Book Festival and SBX were on the same weekend for five years in a row. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> before that happened, uh, I used to do the kids panel and would we do a draw off and we'd have three mm-hmm. cartoons up on the stage. And me and a hundred kids screaming silly, um, things at them for them to draw. 
and it was a hoot and a, and a holler, and everyone had a fabulous time. And I could bellow to my heart's content because kids like people that bellow. Uh, so, but now it's a little different. So we didn't weren't able to really take suggestions necessarily from kids, but we did drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did not. Only one of the artists used, this, used this, the screen share because I had asked them not to. But it actually was great because people lined up easels and it were actually, you could see them drawing, uh, mm-hmm. Chris, Chris, uh, Chris Grind. Oh, this is the panel I did that was live. And this was basically it was graphics con. It was a, a slate of new graphics con uh, authors coming out. And it was, uh, Maria Scrivan, who has this great series, Nat Enough, uh, Varian Johnson and Shannon Wright, who have this new book coming out called Twins, uh, really beautifully drawn. And it's about these two African-American twins in middle school and you know, hijinks ensue. And Chris Grind is doing an adaptation of the Animorphs in a, as a middle grade graphic novel. And uh, he had, I guess, what is it, the Cintiq, the draw on the screen. And he just had it set up, and it was great. Uh, so it, it, that was a live panel, and uh, and also there were producers who would feed me questions for them. So, you know, it. That, you know, it's, it's not a live panel. You don't have the energy of the room. You don't have the, the, just the fun of meeting and being in the same room as these artists. But it's interesting how these, uh, how what's available to us to present artists and their work, how it's evolving in front of, as we're a part of it. Well, two yeah. comments. Oh, great. I'm oh, sorry. Go I, on. I was just going to say, um, this is actually just a pe- comment from the peanut gallery. I'm surprised they're doing an anamorphs graphic novel and I hope that they uh, give it a better ending than the anti-climax, <laughs> bizarre ending of the book series. Well, now, have you read all, what is it, 54 volumes or something? What is it? it I, I certainly read, like, about 30 of them. There, you know, there <laughs> okay. are some in the middle that are a little fillery that, uh, you know. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, I mean, I, once again, I, I saw uh, saw the first volume. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, I think, great. I think Chris said, uh, he's there, he's contracted to do, I think the first three, mm-hmm. and then they're gonna talk. Right. Well, probably they'll cut out, like, the filler volumes so yeah. that people don't have to wait 20 years to get the whole series. Yeah, more. <laughs> uh, um, uh, well, so my comment had nothing to do with the Animorphs, but, uh, I will say, there, there's no question in my mind that I enjoy doing these panels. I mean, I enjoy meeting new people. Yeah. And, and, uh, and also it's prodded me to read the books. And I mean, uh, I mean, Calvin, I know you read books, but I, you know, it's a little, it's been a little <laughs> difficult for me, but I, every time I dip, dip into my stack, oh my God, there's so many incredible books coming out. Well, that's, it's yes. like, it's that's for just sure. mind boggling how good comics are right now and it's a little heartbreaking that we don't have the mechanism to really market them and spotlight them the way we did before um that said the one thing about a panel that i really love is uh producers you know when you have a producer when you have someone else who is able to like like hosting is a little bit more difficult on zoom i feel because you can uh, it's just, yeah, you're, you don't have as many tools at your disposal digitally and having a producer who can throw up art, who can, you know, tell you when you're dropping out or something, um, in chat uh, yeah. is, is, or take a question and throw it in there. I think that is, I think that'll be the way of the future. Yeah. Well, well there are, go on, Kate, go on. Oh, yeah. There are other benefits as well. Um, one is that you can actually get people on your panels who have trouble getting to the United States. Yes. yes. Yeah. And w- not only can you do that, but you can actually have subtitles if you record ahead of time, um, which That's really true. vastly adds to the diversity of potential guests. Well, without a doubt. And and, and it's also uh, just made, made more – there's no conflicts anymore. I mean anybody can – you know, you don't need airplane tickets. You don't need hotel rooms. And so a world of artists – that actually may or may not have been available to us before. For, I mean, I'm speaking for the Brooklyn Book Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this makes a whole makes a, a world of difference. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, Kate. Yeah, one of the 100%. benefits of virtual conventions. Yeah, I just hope that I I just hope that that all of these hundreds, if not thousands, 
of hours. It is thousands, actually. I hope that these thousands of hours of programming are reaching people, you know, are reaching the audience and, and not, um, not, I, I, yeah, I just hope, I, I hope so too, because really, uh, really what's the greatest thing about it. And there are drawbacks to these things. I mean, the, you know, once again, the, the, just the human contact, the exchange, the meeting people. This is great. I mean, we have a version of it, obviously, with this. But um, uh, one of the greatest benefits of all of this is that this stuff is there. For, for, as you said, Kate, you can take, you know, kick back and listen to it when you want to. Um, uh, I mean, I I listen to a lot of stuff, but never at the times that they were broadcast. And I should say. Uh, if if I may, in, in this advertisement for uh, the Brooklyn Book Festival, because uh, I'm on the graphic novel um, committee, they had fabulous programming, and it's really well organized. Um, and comics people are on with pros, authors as well. And um, just check it out. <laughs> you know, go to the Brooklyn Book Festival website. It's just an incredible mix of artists and panels for kids, adults, um in fact, there's another one that I wanted to point out that had uh, – oh, great. This one – this is a great panel, and what's it called? Um, Stand-up speak-out comics, and it's just about comics that are kind of political, social, and it was Jared Reimuth who worked on the Big Black, the Standard Attica graphic novel. Great work. Dirk Backdorf, who's done just an amazing book, Kent State, um, okay, uh, Four Dead in Ohio. Uh, a. Andrews, who has done a book about uh, uh, Quick and Easy Guide to Sex and Disability. Bianca Eunice was there. Uh, uh, Matt Lubachansky from The Nib. Uh, I mean, and it was great to hear them. Easy. Uh, you can skip ahead to what you want to hear. <laughs> there are, I mean, you can, well, you know. that's nice. You now, that's can, great. Let's I wish they real. had that on all panels. Let's be you for know. real. You can, you can listen to the panel, parts of the panel you want to and just move on. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm actually looking at some of the videos for Metaverse that ran today, and uh, you know they had uh, a thousand views so on mm-hmm. YouTube. So you know that's not well, bad. It's a Thursday. Yeah, so, it's a Thursday. You know when the weekend comes and people are not working from home, but rather just sitting around from home. When the night falls, the loneliness calls. <laughs> <laughs> yep, turn on the computer. <laughs> that's a, that's the equivalent I of a. I want to be on a panel with somebody. That's the equivalent equivalent of a night out. <laughs> Turn on your computer. I want to share my screen with somebody. All right. <laughs> well, let's see now. Um, there, uh, there is one show. Yes. That says it's going to be in person. Right. That's so we've heard. Tell us more. Uh, well, LA Comic Con, which is a long running show in Los <laughs> yeah. Angeles, held at the LA Convention Center, it used to be called Kamikaze, then it was Stan Lee's Kamikaze, and now it's the LA Comic Con. And, uh, it draws a lot of people. Has spectacular yeah, Kamikaze, con- maybe not the best name for a con. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly not they've at this time. been around a while, so, you know, they've evolved, but now it's LA Comic Con. Well, they said, hey, we're doing an event. They put out this whole thing. About how they're using the whole, they've rented out the whole LA Convention Center and everybody must wear a mask and they're keeping all the sessions separate and they're clearing the hall and they're wiping everything down. Uh, and well, then, well, it's audacious and crazy. And, crazy. and so <laughs> things about this announcement were super interesting to me and to others, to observers. Um, number one, LA is not open for gatherings of right. more than yes. people. You can't so, even open Disneyland. Which, which makes yeah, it so, really interesting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not legal to do this at this time. And let's be honest, um, as it gets, you know, winter and flu season, it's probably not going to be uh, possible to do it in December when they're planning to do it. And then the second thing that was a little bit surprising was they said that they had worked with officials, you know, city and county and facility officials to work on this and then the the la times asked somebody who works at the la convention center about it and they were like first we've heard of it oh well then that's so, just ridiculous that's a little rude. so i so, yeah so this is a fantasy plan <laughs> well see what it was was that they said tickets were going on sale then they had no guests now it's nothing and i think they were hoping some rubes were going to buy the tickets and then they would be like oh when they cancel it as they're of course going to have to do 
they'll say, oh, you can have it for next year, which is what all shows have done. Now, look, my heart goes out to all the event companies. Sure. You know, and everybody else. But um, let's be real. Event companies are finito, you know? I mean, all of them, they've had layoffs. They had furloughs. Um, it's, it's, you know, very, dire times and i mean i get that the people who are putting on this show are trying to raise some money but i don't know it just well yeah. it just it it's, like a it's kind of a crazy cockeyed idea i mean i if, if i may quote from uh, from the uh, from spike <laughs> spike trotman um everyone comes home sick from conventions when there isn't a pandemic <laughs> yeah <laughs> so really you're gonna throw one in the middle of one i don't think so i mean they're saying they've got this little graphic here about maximum density and they're claiming that, you know, they're going to fit only 13,500 people there. Only, only, yeah, as opposed to 42,000. And it's just like, uh, 13,500 people does not seem like a sufficiently small number, guys. And that whole kamikaze thing, yeah, you should not take that seriously and decide to die well, I mean, the ship of it's not called Kamikaze anymore. To well, I know, I know, right. but it's their inherited name, yeah. right? It's like they well. don't live up to the spirit of your, oh. your previous <laughs> stupid name. <laughs> All right. Well, you know. Well, um, well, you know what, you guys, I, I'm just looking. I, I'm sorry. I'm Googling it while we talk, uh, we talk because uh, it, I, it says that I, I'm just looking because uh, to me it's like they announced this and everybody was like, oh, yeah, they're going to do a con. And then it's like, well, well, you know, it's not legal now. So I, I'm looking for follow-ups. I haven't seen any. But uh, there will be more to come on this story. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, but let's see. Now, they did give out the oh. Harvey Awards yesterday. Oh, we... yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah. So they already announced the winners of the mm-hmm. Harvey Awards. Um, and, uh, Gene Yang won two. Yes. Um, he won one for Superman, you fights the clan, and then he won one for Dragon Hoops, which was the book of the year. Yeah, so that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So actually, if I could just do a little plug for the podcast, I have a, a, a terrific and long interview with Gene Yang about Dragon Hoops. Uh, I can't remember which podcast it is, but if you go to the archive, it's pretty easy to find. <laughs> pretty fine. Gene Yang. Huh? The one with Gene Yang. It's the one with Gene Yang, so you can't miss it. Um, just go to the archive. And um, I also talked with him about the other book that he won for, Superman Smashes the Clan, at San Diego, at the last San Diego Comic Con we were able to go to. Uh, so I've got about a 15, 20 minute uh, interview with him there uh, about the, the background on that book. Uh, and some other stuff. So, well, uh, we are always ahead of the curve on all this so stuff. So there you go. Uh, just they're, so, congratulations to Gene. Yeah, there's only a few winners. Uh, the the, the Nib won Digital Book of the yes. Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Superman Special Club Best Children or Young Adult Book. Uh, Best Mangas, which had Atelier, which has won all the. It also won yeah, the sure Eisner has. Award. Best International Book was Grass mm-hmm. uh, by Kim Sook and Andrew Kim. Uh, and best adaptation from a comic book was Watchmen. What and, else? Uh, yeah. What else? But there was also the Hall of Fame. Yes. And actually, uh, I had the great honor to uh, be approached uh, by the Harvey Committee and asked me to record just an introduction uh, for uh, one of the inductees into the Harvey Hall of Fame, which will be a, or, a, a, which will be kind of a group induction, and it's the founding members of Milestone Media, the groundbreaking you know, African-American superhero publishing company. Um, and uh, I had the great pleasure and honor to um, present Dennis Cowan, Derek T. Dingle, Michael Davis, and the late Dwayne McDuffie. Uh, um, their congratulations for being inducted into the Harvey That's fantastic. Uh, Hall of Fame. So. Yes, well-deserved. Other inductees are equally deserving. Yes. Uh, Jill Thompson, yes. the great artist. Mm-hmm. And then Osamu Tezuka as yes. the kind of, you know, ultra Hall of Fame. Seems a no-brainer there, yeah. Yeah, that's a pr- pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah, um, so. so, you know, listen, the Harveys, uh, Calvin and I have been there. And, yes. um, you know, uh, there have been some uh, memorable moments yes, at the Harveys. I'll say that. Especially uh, now, of course, it's, you know, relocated to New York and we've had it here for, you know, yes, we've a couple had of years. Adventures. Mm-hmm. We've had some adventures. But um, anyway, uh, there will be, the ceremony will be aired, I believe, Saturday night. Is that correct? Uh, I think it's... Or tomorrow night. I Friday think it's night, Friday yes. night, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That'll be tonight when you're listening to this yes. podcast. Yeah. Um, and also, 
Uh, Kate, didn't Milestone Media, didn't they just join uh, the online comics ranks? Indeed, indeed they did. So there are now a variety of Milestone Comics, classic ones at that, available for purchase digitally on Comixology. So um, this this includes everything from, you know, the classic hardware man in the machine to, you know, newer titles that were written years later by the same classic authors. So there's, you know, you know, the Hardware Man and the Machine by Dwayne McDuffie in 2010. Um, but also it has, you know, earlier books such as Icon, A Hero's Welcome mm-hmm. by M.D. Bright and Dwayne McDuffie um, from 1999. And it's it's just got, you know, collections of newer work, older work, stuff that has not been available in digital format before. And, you know, I, for one, am all in favor of it. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. go. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of this I have not read, so I actually think this is good, and I, I, I'm, uh, it, it, it's easy to easy to find here. It's all on Comicsology. Sounds well, good. Kate, Kate and I once again, uh, you know, last time we did the podcast, and Calvin wasn't able to be there, but we, you know, we did a a big uh, think piece or audio think piece about uh, DC Universe Infinite, their new read comics online uh, ser- monthly service, and hey, being able to bring. These classic comics that have not necessarily been all that available yeah. in recent years, uh, are digitally online, available at all times for everyone everywhere. Um, you know, hey, that's a good use of IP. There you go. Yeah. And now this is the, the perfect time because right now you're not going to be able to go to your local comic convention, LA aside, and dig through all those back issue bins trying to fill in the gaps of what got republished. But, now you won't have to. You'll just have to dig around on Google. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, well, uh, despite the pandemic, uh, I hear comics publishing, comics is doing okay. Um, and that there's actually been some new, new announcements. Now, you know, I, we didn't have this on our story list, but I know Harper Alley has actually launched a whole, well, a bunch well of actually, yeah, and actually it's funny that you mentioned that. I, that, that I, I kind of blinked out because I was actually a part of it because they did a launch event and, um, which, which essentially did their own little virtual convention, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And they launched the album, they launched with the titles, and I did a, a kind of appearance and kind of interviewed, uh, both, uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew Arnold, who's the, uh, mm-hmm. the editorial director there, and, uh, a, 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 did a short interview with, with a bunch of the artists that are on their, their, the list. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we yeah. should, you know, for our, our next episode, we really should just take a look at some of these imprints, uh, because there are, you know, burgeoning, especially the kids line. Um, but, but in the, the periodical comics world, bad idea, uh, launched that, announced that they're launching in 2021. Um, this is kind of the quirky company that is run by some of the yes. ex people used to be at Valiant and Esham Dasani, Warren Simons, and Hunter Gorenson. Uh, and, you know, we've seen this story many, many times, uh, funding new line of comics, IP, uh, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I will say this, this launch, um, is pretty good, pretty interesting, you know? Uh, uh-huh. There's a book, like, for instance, there's a book called Walesville by Matt Kent, and um, uh, who is the artist on it? I don't want to know. Adam Polina. Adam Polina, who's very good, uh, and it's about um, a guy who's inside a whale. <laughs> uh, uh, whales, yeah, it's just a one-shot, but uh, it's, a, a you know, about living inside a whale. And, and then I like the, this one, The Lot, by Marguerite Bennett and Renato Guedes. It's about... Um, a mystery set in um, old time Hollywood, and then mm-hmm. Sleigh Bells is kind of by <laughs> Zeb like... Bells, David LaFuente, and Ulysses Ariola. It looks like just some kind of crazy humor comic. So yeah. I, 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 I even like the Eniac there. Which, yeah, which well, kind of looks like you know the you know uh, the, uh, an earlier era of AI, malevolent mm-hmm. AI. Well, that's so, written by Matt Kent, also with art yeah. by Doug Brithwaite. So, you know, they're good, they're quality. Should we remind our leaders what? Because the, they have an unusual business model, which is um, the, right. the bad idea. Which is very. I mean, they're only selling their comics through uh, comic shops, a very limited number. A hundred um, comic shops. Yeah. 
But uh, that is expanding. Uh, they said I, I think the eventually they they're going to, if they stay in business, they're going to actually really have to, it would yeah. seem. Uh, You'll but, have to visit a bad idea destination store. <laughs> Maybe not well calculated for the pandemic. But the, their model really, uh, focuses on the physical object and really making, because there's no digital, they're not collecting it in books, so they say, uh, and we, you know, we did a story and talked to them. Uh, but they, they certainly are creating this sort of really precious, they're trying to return the conversation to a precious singular item. Uh, and of course, I mean, they're also promising real kick-ass storytelling too, which, I mean, all of these comics look kind of interesting. So, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, you know what, I'm a, I'll mention the, 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 the last comic, Kate, just, uh, uh, cause it's intriguing. Tankers, written by Robert Venditti with art by Juan Jose Reap and, um, uh, colors by Jordan Belair. It's a uh, guy goes back in time to try to create more dinosaurs so there'll be more renewed uh, fossil fuels. Uh, I like that. Idea. So, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Kate. What were you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is that there have definitely been a lot of here today, gone tomorrow, uh, mini publishers that have sprung up over the years. But the cast of new, very small boutique presses popping up from experienced creators in the last year or so. It seems to be a really good crop. Um, a number of them have been bringing out some really great books, some of which have sold very well and, and gotten a number of awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, look, Aftershock is, I mean, they've been around five years, but uh, they, they're still around. Um, hey, you know, can I you jump know? in? Sorry, go on, go on, Heidi. No, go ahead, Calvin. Uh, you know what? I just wanted to jump in for a second uh, because we brought up Harper Alley, which is launching this year. Um, you know, and, <clears throat> Andrew Arnold is the editorial director there. That really, uh, and you know, also a key person since we're talking about the Harvey Awards. There is Nellie Kurtzman, who's a VP of marketing there, mm, and this is right. this is her baby also. Uh, so they've really put together a really strong debut line of books. Uh, like I said, they had an online event to launch them all. It was very cool the way it went off. I was involved, um, but I just wanted to mention very quick the artists that are involved because I really don't want to leave them hanging. Uh, uh, Brian Smitty Smith, uh, who has a wonderful book called PB and J for Kids Stuck Together about, uh, vegetables on the road. Uh, Elise Gravel has his book called Arlo and Pip's King of the Birds, which is a fascinating kids book about crows. Uh, and it's a anthropomorphic crow. Crows are very smart and do really interesting stuff. There's an incredible fantasy graphic novel called Lightfall by Tim Prober that is, has some of the most beautiful illustrations you will ever see. Uh, and a great and lively storyline. Uh, Lily Lamott has a, a wonderful, um, story called Measuring Up. Uh, and I forget the artist. She is the writer and I don't uh, have the, the artist's artist name. Anne Shue. Yes. Uh, and it's a great friendship story about, uh, about immigration about a young woman from Chinese immigrants, and they, she kind of comes together with friends around cooking. Uh, and Robin Ha's wonderful story about uh, almost American girl, and it's it's really about her process, uh, a working process of becoming American. And also, I mentioned uh, another uh, artist whose work was about her mother. This book is also really focuses on her mother, who's an extraordinary person. And I also got to talk with Jerry Kraft, who's already got another book out, Class Act, a sequel to New Kid, uh, his award-winning uh, middle-grade graphic novel. So that was the lineup. It was real fun, a great bunch of, of artists. So Harper yeah, Alley, I, it I, throws his hat yeah, in the I ring. Wish, I didn't even know about their launch event, which is really unfortunate. So uh, anyway, but yeah, it sounds great. I, I probably archived somewhere. I'll see what I can find out. So yeah, anyway, th- 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 that's one of the new events going there. But, you know, there's some other things going on out there, too. I mean, really, we're in a pandemic, but people are launching, uh, you know, new – Well, as I was saying imprints. before, <laughs> I was talking about all that. But anyway, yes. yeah. Uh, That's there's what I'm also trying to get Penn, back to it. Penn yeah. State. <laughs> yeah, there's Penn State also. Yes, there is. Um, and uh, our, Bridget Alverson, I think we all know her. She did a story for us. Uh, it's very interesting, um, uh, you know. Penn State University Press has become associated over the years with the, the emerging graphic medicine um, uh, category. Really, you know, comics did look at uh, – uh, they basically deal with issues around healthcare, care, uh, self-care, therapy, and the like. Uh, and, and um, But they're launching a new imprint. 
And they're doing it um, with some support from uh, another friend of the show. Rich Johnson is a consultant. He's working with uh, Kendra uh, Boileau. I hope I'm saying her name right. I apologize, Kendra, if I didn't. And she's the uh, editor-in-chief uh, of the Graphic Medicine series. So they're launching a new imprint called Graphic Monday, uh, basically to really focus on um, uh, topics beyond healthcare and medicine. They're going to be looking at social justice issues, human rights, the environment. Uh, they've already got six or seven titles. I think it's uh, seven titles that they're going to start launching beginning in 2021. Uh, they're going to do 12 graphic books a year. It's done. The graphic medicine series has done really well for them. They see this as a chance to still do what a university press does, which is really do, you know, uh, really substantive works, but do them in comics and reach a broader uh, trade uh, consumer audience with books on. Uh, like they've, they got a, a book about the, the story of science and sex. Uh, they're doing actually uh, Kendra and Rich are co-editing an anthology of comics about COVID. Uh, so we'll have to look for that. There, there are memoir. Uh, so anyway, uh, another well, county what? heard from. I think it would be, uh, you know, unless there is a groundswell of huge comics news, which who knows, there could be. Maybe something that's going to happen at the Metaverse. But, uh, you know, next week or in two weeks' time, we let's try to look at some of these things that like um, – uh, what is that other imprint that launched uh, that very nice lady? See, I can't even remember the oh, name. Oh, you're talking about Street Noise Books. Yes, Street Noise. Yes. I knew it had Street yeah, Yes. Stop. But let's not do it now. Okay. Let's That's Liz Francis and Street Noise, which also has great books coming out. That's right. Let's take a look at some of these uh, some of these imprints that we've been talking, we've been announcing on the podcast for, you know, the that's, past that'd year. That would be a good show pandemic. because – yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's right. let's talk about because I would really enjoy looking in at, at some you know because because we kind of lost the thread there a little bit and I'm sure a lot of readers did too and they I think they'd like to see where they're at. Yep. For sure. What do you sure. think, Kate? I'm open to it. All right. Bring it on. We have little enough content. You know, <laughs> the problem is that cartoonists are just like the rest of us and also at home. So. I mean, aside from some very momentous weeks, which we've experienced, many's the time where we go scavenging, trying to figure out who is doing what out there in the interesting world that we can bring to you, dear listeners. So, you know, hey, bring it on. Yes, indeed. So uh, so if you're listening out there, publishers, hit us up with some material as well. Well, guess what? Comics are still selling. Uh, so... Um, John Jackson Miller, friend of the show, mm -hmm. who has his site, Comicron, which is like the kind of become the Bible of sales charts. Uh, you know, Diamond put out some sales charts, and then John Jackson Miller did the DC sales charts, because we don't have unified sales charts anymore. But John Jackson Miller kind of crunched all the numbers and added them all up and, and made one for um, for periodical comics. He hasn't done it for graphic novels, but for, you know, the month of August and uh, just Batman Three Jokers was the number one book, which apparently sold over 300,000 copies. So that's wow. pretty, pretty healthy. Um, and I went and I made a little chart of my own where I looked at, uh, the number one book for each publisher just to kind of see where they're at. Uh, Titan had the number mm. 22 book with Horizon Zero Dawn at some kind of, um, some kind of, video game tie-in and did super well uh, -huh. uh you know vault had the number 94 book with vampire the masquerade number one uh which sold better than uh the, the number one book by idw and dark horse hmm. uh so um interesting and then i was interested you know awa artist writers yeah. and artisans, another kind of quirky Yes. That run by Bill Jemis. Yeah, run by Bill Jemis and Alonso. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had uh, six of their eight books in the top 300, which I was, um, you know, that shows pretty strong support. So and I, I just keep hearing from, you know, publishers never will call me up and say, Heidi, our sales suck. You know, that doesn't <laughs> yes, happen. That's, yeah. Uh, so they try to put a, to a, a, a positive spin on things, but, but they're all sounding a little more upbeat in a way that I, seems credible to me. Um, and, uh, Image put out a, uh, a press release 
where they announced that a uh, book just came out last week, uh, which is called The Department of Truth, and it's by James Tiny and the Fourth, and the artist is Martin Simmons. Anyway, the first issue sold out of a hundred thousand copy first oh, printing. Wow. That's pretty impressive, actually. I mean, Tinyan's on the rise, but I mean, for any book of his, let alone one that's not a Batman book. That's really very impressive. It's it is very impressive, and um, I, you nailed it though, Kate. He's really on the rise. I mean, he also was on the podcast back at the last show ever when he talked about Punchline, his new character for Batman. And you know, it's it's become uh, that was a got a lot of attention even in the pandemic. Punchline, uh, and he had a um big hit last year with something is killing the children for boom and then he's launched his own publishing company called tiny onion studios and his own horror anthology called razor blades uh so you know he's he's getting out there he's getting his name out there and i actually read i was curious and i read the first issue of department of truth um i think we were uh maybe just before we went on air we were talking about electra assassin the classic book by mm-hmm. frank miller and Bill Sienkiewicz, which sometimes I think I'm living in. But um, <laughs> I will that. say this book definitely, uh, if you're an old timer, it definitely has some echoes of that. It's about an FBI agent who discovers that conspiracies are true, like the Flat Earth and JFK and aliens. But uh, they're – anyway, the first issue ends on a bit of a shocker. It was a very intriguing debut. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy it did so well because it's a, it's a good book. All right. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, nobody's obviously happy with the, the world that we're living right now, but really if there's one thing, um, that it's probably safe to say is that, uh, entertainment media of all kind is in high demand, um, because we got to do something. (laughs) <laughs> and especially now that people's comic stores are open. Yes. Where, you know, you're no longer rationed in how often you leave the house, just how far away you have to stand from other people. Um, you know, there's a, certainly a long tradition of comic book fans, um, isolating from other people, but not from comic books. <laughs> yes, sir, there, yes there's that, that is true. There is that. <laughs> I, I say this as someone who has done that myself on any number of occasions. Yeah. Um, where you just sort of hole up in, in a pile of blankets and graphic novels when you're not feeling people. Well, I'm hoping that's my winter because I got a lot of graphic novels and it's going to be winter. <laughs> it's so. going to be cold for sure. So, um, but anyway, Calvin, you were going somewhere with that. Well, you know, what I wanted to jump on, and I guess we're winding down a little bit here, um, is, uh, uh, just, a wonderful uh, feature over at the Vulture, and uh, it's reminiscent. Well, it's not. I guess it's part of a series, really, that they have going there. Uh, they did what? Like you worked on this, Heidi. What was it? A hundred, one hundred. The hundred most influential comic book pages of all time. Yeah, yeah. that was a few years ago, but yeah. uh, boy, it was fun to do. It was, yeah, and it was fun, and and, and but we went gaga on it over the po- podcast, as I recall. Uh, but but they've done it again. The 100 sequences that shaped animation. Now, this is really a fabulous feature. And I want to give a shout out to John Mayer, my colleague at PW. Uh, he's on his freelancing horse here because he's, you know, did this for the Vulture. But uh, he and, uh, his cohort, Eric, I think it's Via Boas, they, uh, they were also the founders of a, of a site called Dot and Line, which focused on animation. And they are animation. I mean, Mavens don't even be, doesn't even begin to describe the total immersion that these two guys can do into animation. And what they have done is really created a, a team that has really researched <clears throat> the history of animation and come up with key sequences in a hundred animation films starting in 1892, uh, uh, which I think is even before generally animation is sort of pinpointed, uh, and come up with sequences, you know, anywhere from like, 50 seconds to two or three or four minutes of key, uh, key sequences in animation. They really have either changed the, uh, the medium, advanced it, um, just were incredibly influential in, uh, in bringing us to this point in, in time. So go to the vulture. Uh, it's called the 100, um, sequences that shape innovation. Uh, it goes from 1892 to 2019. I think the last one is Steven Universe. 
Uh, yeah. Well, there more... was, less... yes. I'll say those, those guys are experts because there were some oh, deep cuts on there. It's deep. Oh, there were some that's very when I say cuts. deep dive, I'm not kidding. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they really talk. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a, you know, I wrote a book on animation, but I, I wouldn't say I'm ignorant about it either. And I was like, wow. These uh, guys can, yeah. these guys can write the book on animation and yes, they, they can, probably absolutely. are. Uh, and but they, they ought to. And they, they oversaw a team it. of researchers. I mean, this is something that not just, Fans would want to read, but I really think that professionals, industry professionals would, would find it interesting. So, uh, shout out to, uh, the Dot and Line team in exile because they shut Dot and Line down, uh, this year after four years. Uh, you know, the, uh, it, it's still, the, the, the site is still there, but they don't add to it. So, uh, shout out to John, uh, and congrats. It's really a, a fabulous feature. So go to the, uh, Vulture and learn something about animation. Absolutely. <laughs> is it now time for the briefs? It is it the certainly time is. of the briefs. Okay. So, we've got some sad news and some happy news. I suppose we ought to lead off with the sad so that we can end on the happy. Yes. Um, so, a creator who may be a little less known in North America, but certainly well known in the Americas, uh, Quino, otherwise known as Joaquin Salvador Lovato, the creator of the cartoon Mafalda, um, died at the age oh, of 88. Right. So Mafalda looks an awful lot like Nancy, but a little shorter, a little younger, and definitely um, her very own spin on the precocious child with her own sense of humor. A huge hit in the Spanish-speaking world. Heidi, as I recall, you're something of a Mafalda fan, aren't you? Well, I'm Mafalda aware, which is very rare in the <laughs> United States unless you are super deep dive. I first came across Mafalda when I went to Angoulême Comics Festival in France a few years ago because they had a spotlight on her. Uh, and also, if you talk to any uh, Spanish-speaking comics fans and – but particularly from Spain and South America, and you say, who are the most popular comics characters? Mafalda will always come up. She is truly the Charlie Brown of the Spanish-speaking world. Uh, and she is not, as I mentioned, not just a uh, – she's the precocious child, Kate, uh, but she's not – you know, just she's no Dennis the Menace, okay? She is a wise little girl who wants world peace, and the strip got very political talking about – uh, gender roles and democracy and freedom and everything. And, you know, Mafalda is really beloved throughout the Spanish speaking world. And, uh, you know, Quino, I got, uh, I was, I was tagged in actually a tweet about his death, announcing his death. And, uh, it got so many, uh, retweets, uh, you know, throughout the world. And, and, uh, Linear is the great, he was, Arge he was from Argentina and Linear is the great Argentine yeah. cartoonist. Mm -hmm. It's such a lovely tribute to him also on his Twitter. But yeah, he was, he was one of the greats. He was one of the, the world's great cartoonists. And, um, you know, rest in power. Yeah. So, in somewhat less sad news, but still a little bit sad. Uh oh. Um, yeah, sometimes the pandemic can even hit manga. Yes, that's right. Even a manga as stalwart as One Piece, <gasps> known for coming out in infinite volumes at infinite length, um, <laughs> will be – I don't mean that as a dig. I'm quite no, impressed. No. <laughs> no, um, you speak the truth. <laughs> is, is taking a last-minute break. Um, Shonen Jump has published a statement about the delay, reassuring that One Piece will be back. But Aichiro Oda, the creator of the comic, is currently sick wow. and is not feeling up to drawing the comic. Uh-oh. Now, if, if a manga artist doesn't stop, then you know they've got to really be sick. Right. We're, we're just hoping it's not COVID. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but given that it, it stopped one piece, it's got to be pretty something, serious. Yeah, something serious. Wow. I, I hope he's feeling better soon. Yeah. Shaman King is coming back to English. On Comixology with a brand new translation. Oh yeah. So, you know, everyone out there who remembers it fondly from the bookstore shelves, um, there's now a new spin coming out through Comixology and Kodansha. Check it out. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you mentioned this just to, uh, 
you know, happy strip news, actually. You had uh, uh, that uh, uh, Mark Trail. Mark oh, Trail, right, the, yes. The, Another piece of good news. He's back. The beloved, if kind of bizarre, <laughs> comic strip about, you know, animals and soap opera has a new creator. And, and, you know, the guy who was drawing it before was like the build himself as the world's oldest cartoonist. I believe he was like in his late 90s and, mm. um, you know, God bless him, and he retired. Uh, but uh, they just hired Jules Rivera, who does a you know a web comic that's quite exuberant to to take over the strip. And I, I've known Jules for a while, and she's you know she's that's cool. one it's, of a kind. It's a different yeah. look for Mark. It is a different Mark look, Quill. and, and you know, a different energy in the strip too. Yeah, you know, big props to T. Forn Fogner. Her name is hard to pronounce. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're the, uh, do, do a lot of the editing over at King Features and they are really, um, you know, doing some really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so listeners, if you're wondering about, um, Mark Trail, Mark Trail is a extremely long running comic <laughs> about a park ranger. Read it when I was a kid. And his family. <laughs> and, you know, strange adventures with drama and animals and conservation. And King Features assures us that it's going to continue to focus on, you know, a conservation and environmentalist type topics, along with, you know, the excitement and drama and family stuff. Although yeah. it, it always seemed like the lowest, about the most low-key adventure strip ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love drawings of animals. So yes, I've you know, always been entranced by Mark Trail. I love I, any too. comics that are about animals. Well, I just, you know, I I grew up reading it. I grew up reading this, you know, Brenda Starr. I mean, mm-hmm. all of those classic ones when comics in, in the newspapers were good. So, um <laughs> don't you fuddy duddy on us, Cal. Well, I mean, there, I don't, you know, what can I say? There, I mean, it's kind of moved online now, I think the better ones, but I mean, newspaper comics were a different animal people. Sorry, yeah, I'm an old well, fart. You know, I, I don't think it was, I think it's because newspapers are an endangered species. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily, you know, and I think there's also more opportunities yeah, and for you're right. to just, Make money now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. There's but really you know, I'm yeah, telling you, listen, yeah. reading Steve Canyon and reading Calvin oh. and Hobbes, even then, back, you know, when he had a splash on a big broadsheet. I mean, uh, I can't even tell you. I used to read Alley Oop. I didn't mean. I mean, we lived for the Sunday comics, but it, you know, it's a different world then. Well, but there's no reason that how we put this. News publishing organizations, regardless of uh, whether they print on paper or digitally, can't take advantage of the fact that they're known for comics and the fact that, you know, whole new generations are learning to to love and understand graphic storytelling. Absolutely. Um, you know, in a whole new way. So things like the revival of Nancy and the revival of, of – Mark Trail absolutely. With, with really great new talent is, yeah. is a hopeful sign. You know, you're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, and, and they they exist in a different on a in a different platform. You know, um, you know, books and online and whatnot. And uh, the newspaper comics I'm recalling were that was what they were then. Uh, well, but the comics have migrated to other platforms. Yeah, now. I don't look. I, there's nothing I'd like more than you know getting a. Every week, a gigantic broadsheet of you know Little Nemo and Steve Canyon delivered to my house. I mean, yeah, that's a dream come true. But um, well, you know what? You can get some of that feeling back by getting a copy of Lab, Ron Rimbley's Lab. Oh, well, yes, because, but it and it's an updated feeling. If they only come out like once every every year, but but you know, he's taken he's taken the print comics and kind of dragged them kicking and screaming, big broadsheet. Uh, you know, avant-garde comics and drag them into the 21st century. Yeah, newsprint, exactly. newsprint comics. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it, absolutely, Calvin. You're 100 percent right that that there are these kind of retro throwback broadsheets yeah. that are spectacular and it's a different kind. It's a different medium. Yeah, you know, T is awesome. We should have we should have her on the the podcast sometime. In fact, I'm writing that down. Oh, I'm yeah. going to see if she would do an interview because she's a real mover and shaker. Cool. All right. All right. So, all right. Well, I guess, um, you know, that's it for this week. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment for us. 
Yes, please do. Come on. We're lonely. There's <laughs> a pandemic going on here. We need to hear yeah. from people. Reach out and touch. Come on. <laughs> All right. And, and definitely subscribe because there will be more to come. I've been picking up my phone. The Yanks are up 4-1 in the, in the seven. Oh, so yeah. they better hold, get hold, hold on, baby. Hold on.